0: Good morning and welcome. You are listening to Cafe Bitcoin. We have a really exciting show for you today. Uh, We're doing macro strategy. (laughs) We do this once a month with Larry Lepard, Mr. James Lavish, Greg Voss, and Jeff Ross. And uh, it's turned out to be really good. People love this. And we have got a lot of great feedback. So we're going to dive into a couple of quick news items first before we start digging into Macro stuff, and uh, I know you guys have been working on some really interesting things lately. Uh, if you can talk about it, super excited to to dig into that a little bit too. All right, episode two hundred and forty one. You have sixteen days left to tax loss harvest in the twenty twenty two tax year. Uh, Fountain shout outs. Appreciate you guys for us, boosting us on Fountain Sat Nakamoto. RAG3AFMA21M0, user22515622, Anon, Navigator. I don't know if I said that right. Lintable, MGB, you know who you are. And BTCH Hydra. Hydra. BTC Hydra. What else we got going on? Hey, Ant, are you ready with some stats? What's the the Bitcoin impenetrable freedom force field looking like right now? 229x a hash. Awesome. That's quite different from yesterday, by like almost 50x a hash.
1: Yeah, it moves around.
0: Quite a bit. It's still pretty substantial. Uh, Remember, if there are no fees, you are probably the product or the exit liquidity. Um, If it's okay with you guys. Oh, good morning, Preston. Hey. What's up, guys? Hey, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me up. You bet. Um, Hey, Alex,
2: real quick, since you're going to announce the Exahash every morning, is it possible for you to uh, give a brief description of what that Exahash is for?
0: I don't think we're going to do that every morning, but we'll, we'll do it right now. Does somebody want to take a shot at that? There's a ton of really smart people up here. Tomer said it best yesterday, I think. That's the amount of power protecting the the blockchain essentially if you're going to try to change the transactions that occurred in the last 10 minutes you're going to have to exceed that much computing power in order to do so which is the reason why bitcoin is the most secure not just financial computing network but it's the literally the most secure computing network that the human race has ever seen and it's a it's a historic thing
2: makes your Um, money secure
0: yes sir um a couple of quick things that i'd like to hit before we dig into macro today uh number one the outflows off of exchanges is continuing there's a massive you know you could call it a run on the exchanges run on the banks whatever you want to call it Ninety-one thousand uh bitcoin outflows um no, i don't have the time period here but that's that's the uh the stat what else is going on oh i think somebody ratted sbf out so apparently the sec has awarded more than 20 million dollars to a whistleblower for immediate release this happened on the 12th the securities and exchange commission announced an award of more than 20 million to a whistleblower who provided information and assistance that significantly contributed to a successful enforcement action Um, this person met with the enforcement division staff multiple times and remained cooperative throughout, not a bad little pie, a bad little prize there.
3: It's possible. That's not Caroline though. We don't know that it's Caroline. Somebody said that they don't pay those rewards until the actual case gets settled. So, um, while she was in New York and I'm pretty sure she probably did rat him out. I'm not sure that's her 20 million. That was my take on it.
0: Anybody else have any thoughts on that? Is this
4: related to the whole Zach Morris case, too? I was listening uh, in on the unknown. whole Atlas, Atlas trading thing that was related to Zach Morris, and it sounded like it was like the exact same amount, so I don't know if like the internet is completing the two.
0: Unknown. Okay. Uh... All I know is that if if it if it was Caroline, I <laughs> mean Sam, my man Sam. Ugh. Anyway, so the next thing we could talk about really quick before we jump into macro. By the way, good morning, Jeff Ross. Throwing you an invite. You guys have probably heard by now um, of the Digital Asset Anti Money Laundering Act being proposed. By Senators Warren and Marshall. Um, in response, I and mean, we've been we've been talking about this for a little bit now about how some regulators are not going to waste this opportunity. They're going to try and ride in <clears throat> on the white horse and save everybody from uh, from danger. So Warren is losing her shit. She to me, this is my opinion. All right, this may come across strong, but that's that's my opinion. All right. I think she's completely unhinged right now. She's like in full tyrannical lizard lizard person, evil dictator mode. She's claiming that rogue nations, oligarchs, drug lords are using crypto to launder billions, evade sanctions and finance terrorism. Now I've got an issue with that because all the AML KYC stuff is pretty much nonsense. So there's this guy by the name of Dr. Ron Paul, not the Statesman. But the AML expert, he's got a PhD in policy effectiveness, is one of the world's leading experts on AML-KYC efficacy, or in this case, not efficacy. He's basically saying that AML-KYC just doesn't work. He's saying that for decades, scientists and even the United Nations and Europol have warned that the design and implementation of the AML regime globally is, is flawed and profoundly ineffective. impact on criminal... Go ahead.
2: It's the
4: same thing as TSA. Like, it's literally the same thing. And TSA fails to capture, what, 99% of the illicit materials that go
5: through. So,
4: yeah, absolutely. It's a failed system.
0: Yeah, completely ineffective. The uh, Apparently... Okay, so according to this gentleman, the impact on criminal finances is a fraction of a percentage point from zero. Yet the costs and the harms inflicted on the citizens, communities, businesses, and even countries are immense. And according to him, the way it's been implemented, it was never designed to be effective, nor to achieve G7 goals. It's repeatedly shunned effectiveness science, and it is marked by profound failure. He he goes on to say, the Financial Action Task Force, FATF, recently proclaimed that um, apparently... (laughs) What he's talking about isn't where they should be focusing. Instead, everybody should just implement the standards we already have, which apparently don't work. And the conclusion is is that this means that AML systems and software will not find the most crime and compliance costs and regulatory risks, bizarrely based on breaking rules with no proven substantial impact on crime. They're functionally impossible to create with and irrespective of any of any evidence of laundering or crime, the costs will keep escalating. I'm not a big fan of this stuff. Does anybody have any comments they want to make before we keep rolling? All right, let's dig into uh, the Digital Asset Money Laundering Act. So basically, that everything I was just talking about, the MLKYC stuff, the protecting you from terrorists crap, which, once again, I've said this many times, I never asked anybody to protect me from, from terrorist money laundering. I don't know where the hell these people come up with these ideas, but I don't even know anybody who's asked for that. Yet somehow, you've got these extra-sovereign entities, the FATF, Creating these guidelines, which then are interpreted as as oh everyone in the world should do that, and it's an excuse really to ratchet down on on people and take away our freedoms. Don't like it. Um, this is an article by Peter Van Valkenburg, digital asset money anti digital asset anti money laundering act it's an attack on self custody developers and node operators nothing about the bill would prevent the next ftx in fact it puts users at more risk it's got all it's riddled with problems guys uh, it would force anyone who main, who helps maintain public blockchain infrastructure either through software development so if you're a developer or validating transactions on the network in other words you run a node you have to register as a financial institution.
4: <laughs> why is it? Why is it always the developers? Like nobody's going after like the the assembly line workers and factories that are like producing munitions or anything. Like I I don't understand the focal point on the developers. They've been focusing on them aggressively for the last three years.
6: It's, it's just politics. It's control, right? So. If they can control them, then they can kind of control the direction of all of it. So when you look at the actors that are proposing this stuff, it shouldn't surprise anybody. That's
4: probably that, accurate, but yeah. I think we're all waiting with bated breath to hear what Preston had to say because his
0: mic came off. Oh, no. Can you guys hear me? That was Preston, Mike. Reconnect, uh, I Mike. I
4: can't hear him? Okay, let me reset. I'll come back
0: up. Sorry, Preston. Keep going. Oh,
6: no. C- could you guys
0: hear me? I yeah, could hear you yeah, fine. Oh, okay. So, yeah. Twitter Spaces does this weird thing where sometimes a person can be on on the stage and they can't hear everybody else for whatever reason, That's swapped, Mike's problem.
6: I swapped devices, so that might be what caused it. Um, no, it's a mic issue. Happens to him all the time. Oh, okay. I I would just simply describe it as when you look at the actors that are proposing these types of things, they they're just seeking control, and um it shouldn't surprise people that the actors that continue to to propose such things are, are the ones that just want to be able to control everything. So I, I know there's a, you see a lot of posts and people kind of like flipping out and, and for good reason, I'm not trying to say that people shouldn't be flipping out on social media, but you also have to understand that they have to convince a, enough people to kind of take the same over controlling position. And I think they're going to be met with just an enormous amount of, of uh pushback from the community uh and other people in congress that that do understand what this is and what it offers with respect to freedom
0: yes all of the above i think you're right i think there's a lot of uh there's a lot of rending of the cloth and gnashing of the teeth but the reality is this thing's probably not going to get much and i saw this really funny stat where of (laughs) where Senator Warren has proposed over 300 bills and apparently a tiny, tiny fraction of those have actually um, become law.
4: Do politicians get a batting average?
0: They should, huh? They really should.
1: With respect to the nodes, I mean, it just shows, I mean, I mean, we already know that they're woefully either woefully ill-informed or maliciously trying to, you know, inform us but uh misinform us but i mean with respect to the nodes i mean nodes aren't transferring any money i mean nodes aren't you know uh processing any transactions you know all a node is doing is comparing its own local copy of the ledger against everybody else's and there is no like money transmitting happening in that in in it the fact that they're even putting that in again is either a or b either they're woefully ill-informed or they're trying to misinform us
2: don't you think that that beauty on's uh, idea that this is just free speech comes into play here that we're that that it's not really a transact it's just a transaction of a string
1: well i said it yesterday in the chat and i know it's I mean, somebody's probably going to correct me with like the actual law that prevents this from happening. Maybe there's some law that you can't transfer something if it's tied to like value or something. I don't know. But I mean, if you really zoom out and like, what if Tomer wrote a beautiful poem of 12 words, 12 word poem, and he gave it to me and he wanted me to sell it for him. I mean, how is that a money transmitter Mm -hmm. thing? And I understand we all know what Bitcoin really is, but it's like, there's a lot of things. There's a lot of sides and aspects to this thing that people haven't yet even begun to consider.
0: I think the problem is the original premise that some of these. Um, <clears throat> it's it's not it's not whether it's it's uh, you know a freedom of speech issue or whether we're really moving around money. The problem is is that these kind of people who want to control everybody. They come from the place of assumption that they have the right to do that to everybody else. That's the problem. So and, they think uh, they
4: know better for everybody else's sake.
0: Yeah, and that's what we have to correct. I'm not sure what the solution to that is, but like, the very fact that these people exist and they think that it's their job to literally tell everybody else, this other 7 billion people on the planet, how we're going to run our lives, thats a, that's messed up.
2: Well, in the case of, of Elizabeth Warren, the, the job is to replace her with a Bitcoiner. Thanks. Or just anything that's not reptilian.
0: Thank you. Exactly.
2: Yeah, I mean, she's a progressive, and I'm, I, I, I think that she thinks that she's doing what is best for everyone. I, I, think, I truly think that that's what she believes, you know, right or wrong. I, I, I'm not quite sure that, I mean, she is in the, she does have the banks in her pocket, but.
0: It doesn't, that's not an excuse. That's not an excuse. Like if you, if you, if you look at the history of lizard people, right. I'm talking about people that are pretty far out on that psychological spectrum. (laughs) They always believe that what they're doing is right. Even if everybody else on the planet would look at it and are horrified, like that's pretty evil, bro. Like that's not cool. they might truly believe that what they're doing is important or right or good. It's not an excuse. It doesn't excuse the behavior. Go ahead, Tomer.
7: Yeah. I think you, you kind of finished up on my point. Like I don't know how much of these people think about whether what they're doing is, is right or not. They have a, they've created a brand for themselves, a position for themselves that is popular and, and gets them reelected and serves, you know, serves to appeal to a certain part of the demographic And, and, and that demographic isn't really, at the end of the day, well served by the actions of these people. There's not like a lot of people walking around saying, "Oh, look at all these benefits I enjoy from by virtue of having voted for Senator Warren." It's like Senator Warren <laughs> positions herself as an angry uh, vigilante against. She's the angry Native American woman. Well, you know, she she. So, well, it's so like, not does even she believe that. when she says that? Do you think she believes that? that she is or is it just like No, a,
0: I'm I'm teasing yeah. like people yeah, no, turn that into
7: right. But that's I, I think I think these people they they don't realize that they've made their lives into an act. And they don't realize that the act has consequences and impacts on other people's lives. And so to I don't know whether they think of it as a game or they're just caught up in their own fiction fiction and fantasy but we're the ones who have to often live with the consequences of what they're saying. I, I did, just on this, I shared a, a, a tweet from Lynn Alden in The Nest that has an interesting, very very short thread to it, uh, and even some of the comments, um, just before people get too concerned about this act, it seems like it's, at least from Lynn's analysis and some of the other comments about, uh, from others, it's very unlikely to pass, especially, even, especially as is. but it's just unlikely to pass in general. So, uh, but and Lynn points out, it looks like we've entered the, we've confirmed that we've entered the then they fight you stage.
0: Yeah. And that's okay. All right. I don't want to dig too deep into that. I mean, we, there's a ton of things that are wrong with this proposed bill, but I think we're all in agreement. It doesn't stand much chance. The, the point I guess in discussing it is we just need to be on our toes and, um, and aware that there are people out there that, that would, <laughs> if they're allowed to throw a huge, huge wrench into our beloved Bitcoin. All right, let's uh, let's get rolling on macro strategy. This is the reason why everybody's here. I want to thank all of you guys for being here. We have a very esteemed panel today. I'm, I'm incredibly humbled and excited to be here. Uh, Mr. James Lavish, Larry Lapard, Greg Foss, Doctor Jeff. Good morning. We have not a chance to say good morning to you yet. Morning, Jeff.
8: Hey, morning, Alex. Morning, everybody.
0: And, and we have a cameo today. We have the amazing and intelligent Preston Pish. So. Um, You're
6: way too kind. <laughs>
0: <laughs> there's lots of love here, man. Lots of love. We have, a, a, you know, that's kind of the way we operate. Lots of love for Bitcoiners and people who are, who are on what I call on the mission, who have great signal. And then on the, on the flip side of that, <laughs> we do this thing called the crucible to bad ideas. And the crucible is we stick it in this really hot place and we burn it with fire and criticism and, and tear it apart. Um, so yeah, all of the above, I figure, why don't we just go around and, um, do you guys already have some things that uh, planned that you want to hit? We'll just go around and hit those James. What's up fellas? It's good to be
9: here um well i mean obviously what's on everybody's mind is the fed talking yesterday raising rates and where the rates are going so my thoughts on that are look the the fed the market came out and 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 jumped ahead jump the gun you know they they want to hear some dovish uh language out of powell but he's not giving it to them he refuses to admit that they've made a massive mistake and He's trying to, you know, recover some credibility by saying that he's a hawk and he's he's the next next volker. So we have to take him by the word, by his word. You know, I mean, the markets are starting to price that in this morning. They're realizing that, look, uh, he's going to keep raising rates. And he he said it in the last meeting, not this one. But he said, look, uh, if we the, the problem is we can't let we can't let inflation get out of control. Right. And so we have tools. On the other hand, if if we over tighten, if we over correct, and uh, you know the we, we start seeing a contraction in the economy, we have tools to to fix that, which is QE, right? And so he's not worried about he's not worried about over tightening. He's not worried about people losing their jobs. He's worrying about he's worried about inflation getting out of control. So he's going to continue tightening. And we're going to have negative GDP in the first quarter. And we're going to have a recession. That's just, it's becoming abundantly clear. And so if you look at the treasuries this morning and you look across the, you know, the treasury curve, you're seeing the, the shorter paper, uh, the rates going up to match what the Fed funds, what, what the Fed is doing, raising their rates. You're seeing the, the, the long end of the, the curve, the tail come down because people are realizing that look he's going to push us into a recession so those rates are going to have to come down look at the 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 dot plots we're going to get over five percent in in fed funds this next year so we're going to have at least another raise maybe two more 50 to 20 25 to 50 basis points each and so that he's declared it that's where we are and we we have to realize that so you know um everybody talks about dr. Jeff on here being dr. bear but we, we've been in agreement all along that the Fed is absolutely going to do this now can they do it long term can they keep going can can they be can can Powell be vulker and keep rates high for the next two three four years nope you've also heard uh, Greg Foss adamantly declare that we're, we're we're in a debt spiral and we can't do that the Treasury will literally lose all all credibility as, you know, as it prints to oblivion with the Fed to uh, monetize the debt. So, but in the short term, just everybody be aware that this is where we are. And it's just a, it's a reality check for everybody today. That's kind of where I'm at. That's where my head is at.
0: You guys want to respond on that? Go ahead, jump in.
10: Yeah, I'll, uh, I'll jump. I'll go. Jeff, it's Foss. Go ahead. You go, man. All right, I'll just jump
8: in quickly, Foss, and then let you give the real answer. So, <laughs> I just want to piggyback on everything James said and say I agree with all of it. And I think you know I, the market didn't like it that that uh, Powell came out firing. He came out guns blazing. Still came out hawkish. The market did not want to hear that. Right? They wanted to see this Christmas or, or Santa rally or whatever, and uh, and 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 get some optimism because the Fed was pausing. Here's here's what I look at, though. More importantly, and James did uh, allude to this the short end of the yield curve is now officially inverted. Like that's, that's not normal, right? You don't, the fed funds rate should not be higher than the two year treasury yield uh, or the rest of the curve for that matter. But it is now, and that's not normal. And why is it not normal? Because the way that financial institutions make money in general is they borrow short and they lend long, and then they collect the premium in between. And they can't do that anymore. When you have high shorter-term rates and lower longer-term rates, they lose money on that transaction, so they don't make that transaction. What happens then is that freezes up the financial markets, um, and and it basically grinds everything to a halt. So the Fed has now ground the real estate market to a halt, and they're starting to grind the financial institutions into a halt. This is when things start breaking. So... What I look at is, you know, yes, he came out hawkish, and yes, they say that they're going to raise the federal funds rate to 5 or 5.25%. I would suggest that the bond market doesn't believe them anymore. And I think that at the beginning of these rate hiking cycles, excuse me, still have a hard time breathing. Um, at the beginning of these rate hiking cycles, the, the, the Fed kind of guides the short end of the yield curve. But at the end of the cycles, It's the short end of the curve that drives the Fed. So I think the short end is basically saying, you know what, that's awesome that you want to raise it to 5 or 5.25%, but we don't think you're going to be able to do that. I'm still looking at the two-year yield. The two-year right now is sitting at 4.27%. It may go higher, and especially if inflation data comes in high over the next month. Uh, it may grant that the Fed can raise again in February, but I, I would suggest that they're already on the verge of breaking things and we may see things starting to break very soon. So this bodes poorly. I think it's very ominous. Uh, and, you know, I, I took the Dr. Bear off of my uh, Twitter handle, but but uh, I I would just strongly suggest that this bodes poorly for the equities markets and for risk assets in the near future.
10: So it's Foss. Um, Well said, Jeff. A little tidbit for all of these who didn't uh, grow up trading bonds. You are now paid to short bonds since the repo rate, overnight repo rate, is higher than every single other rate on the curve. So when you short a bond, the cash you collect goes into a higher yielding security than the bond that you're shorting. Oh, interesting. So people that are making this bet then aren't there because they are convinced the Fed is going to get to 5.1%, people. Okay, so I'll reiterate what Jeff just said. It's the bond market versus the Fed right now. Okay, very simply, the bond market versus the Fed. Yesterday, Fed Funds Future, uh, March Futures, it spiked 10 basis points. The 10-year Treasury went to 3.5%. And guess what? It closed the day unchanged. And today it's actually lower in yield, which means higher in bond prices in the long end of the curve. So there's a monumental battle going on here. And the world still hasn't figured out, and I'll direct people to uh, Luke Groman's analysis the reality of a recession that will accelerate the debt spiral that's already been accelerated because interest yields and costs on the U.S. debt are increasing. What happens when Treasury? Receipts, because of a recession, go down. You're getting uh, basically boned on both ends, if you will. Uh, Receipts are going lower. Interest costs are going higher. The debt spiral accelerates. QE is inevitable. Very simple. So don't overthink things. One of the things I'd like to bring up, and and we called this macro. Um, Let's talk about one of the other great macro in due course, by the way, with the great macro uh, headlines that came out with the Japanese government owned Texas, uh, excuse me, not Texas, Tokyo electric grid, mining Bitcoin with surplus energy. Now, that's pretty macro, people, and we don't have to be beholden to a lawyer in New York to see all of the true macro signals that are going on in the economy. And I want to just shout out... Uh, a huge winter storm that's going over Ontario as we speak right now. That's going to cause the electricity grid in Ontario to do backflips, like just happened down in uh, Texas last year. Okay, wouldn't it be wonderful if there were electric electricity providers in Ontario that mined Bitcoin all the time, but then all of a sudden they needed to peak to grid because there was a disaster taking place in their backyard. Wouldn't that be a wonderful macroeconomic model? The world is moving to the Tokyo electric macroeconomic model for electricity. James Powell, or excuse me, Jerome Powell, you know what? He's a talking head lawyer who hasn't done his grade 11 math and understands but hasn't told the world that the debt spiral is inevitable. QE infinity is inevitable. Wouldn't it be really cool that... The electricity grids in the world were stabilized by Bitcoin miners that can peak to grid when there's events like the Texas ice storm and the soon-to-be-half Canadian ice storm. We'll see how it works out, but don't overthink things. It's the bond market versus the Fed, and then it's going to be Japanese government versus Elizabeth Warren. We'll see who wins. I know where I'm placing my bets. I think I speak for the panel. It would be awesome to be able to be invested in these types of opportunities up and down the Bitcoin opportunity spectrum over to you guys.
3: Yeah, this is Larry. Let me just add my thoughts. I mean, I agree with everything said thus far. The um, I think what's most interesting here to me is the market has basically told Fed we don't or Paul, we don't believe you anymore. You know, they've got rate cuts factored into the latter half of next year. If you look at the forward curves, the euro dollars, et cetera. So Um, You know, this economy is rolling over. It's not entirely evident to everybody yet, but it will be. Wall Street's living on hopium, which is going to disappear. You know, the consensus estimate is still that the S&P earnings are going to go up 7% next year, which is just absurd, given what we see going on in all kinds of industries. And things are starting to break. I think my big uh, clues in the last month or so are, you know, the the Blackstone Fund gating um, their real estate redemptions uh, that was interesting. People want money; we can't give it to you. Um, people are about to find out how illiquid real estate is, and then Starwood followed suit. And then something Greg mentioned, I think, earlier was very important, which Luke pointed out on Twitter, which is just that you know U.S. tax receipts are down, you know, I don't know, close to 11 percent year on year, and spending is up close to 6 percent year on year, and you've got the interest expense on the debt, which as recently as a few years ago was running 300 billion a year, is now at a 750 billion rate. And the average duration is two, three years. And so, you know, as, as rates continue to go up, that number is going to get bigger. Um, you know, the defense budget is $800 billion, So we're, we're about to pass defense. And everywhere you look, we're spending more money. Um, you know, that last year's deficit was $1.4 trillion if you assume that we, that debt will be forgiven. Of course, the Supreme Court's student debt, the Supreme Court's going to decide that. But remember, $600 billion of last year's revenue came from the bull market in stocks in 2021. And we didn't have a bull market in stocks in 2022. So that 600 is not gonna recur. And the TBAC report, which Luke references, shows that the the government is now looking at borrowing $1.3 trillion in the first six months of next year, the next two quarters. So that's basically a $2.6 trillion deficit run rate. And it's only gonna get bigger. So that's the kind of deficit we were running, you know, during COVID, and this is without, you know, PPP and all the other crap they did in COVID. So, you know, there really is a debt death spiral here that the government can't pull out of, and you know, Powell's insane. I mean, he's he's, you know, he's playing chicken on this issue, and he's going to have to swerve or he's going to die. You know, he's going to crash and die. So, um, to me, you know, we're just playing the waiting game for our assets to work again, and as I've said in the past. You know, the precious metals assets tend to be a little bigger and more broadly distributed, and they smell things in advance versus Bitcoin. I know this because I watched them both carefully in 2019 and 2020. And I got to tell you, the the charts on the precious metals, they look, they're things of beauty. Nice, rounded bottoms, coming through the 200-day moving averages, breaking out, sentiment's terrible, you know, silver inventories are record lows, you know, all the commercial shorts are on the wrong side of the trade. I mean, it's, you know, my view is Q1, Q2 next year, and we're gonna see fireworks and all the sound money stuff.
10: Can I add to Larry uh one of the things that just came across the tape? Toronto home prices now down 12%. Nine straight months of declines. Okay. So hard assets that include gold and silver, oil, Bitcoin, obviously. Uh real estate was a hard asset that goes illiquid. Okay. Uh, you know, it's it's like everything. Um everyone moves to one side of the boat at the same time. So the air is coming out of the real estate balloon in Canada, rightly so. Most Canadian mortgages are variable rate mortgages, believe it or not. So we don't have the same mortgage structure as they have in the U.S. You cannot get or easily get a 30-year mortgage in Canada, uh, whereas in the U.S. that's sort of par for the course. So different structural uh, uh, pieces of mortgage markets, but Canadian home prices down 12%, okay? Uh, that impacts uh, 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 real estate investment trusts. It impacts office space uh, in, in Canada. It, I would question with the so, uh, solvency of some of the Canadian banks uh, and the mark-to-markets on their portfolios because they hold most of the mortgages. They do not securitize it like they do in the United States. So there's a lot of different uh, pieces to fall and shoes to fall. Don't get overly bullish. Uh, by any means, what I would say very simply is, and reiterating what Larry said, the gating, the gating of a BlackRock real estate fund is absolutely super substantial. Now, even though it was within the literature and people were warned that they could get gated, they've only honoured less than 50% of the redemption requests. And why is that? And here's the kicker, Larry, you may or may not know this. Most of the money made in the real estate fund was hedging interest rates. It wasn't even on the property marks. So while I believe the property marks are unrealistically high, the interest rate hedging is what made the money in the Black Black, uh, Rock fund, okay? That is also going away. So it's just a question as always happens when liquidity is taken out of the market Things break, things crack, and you're seeing it in illiquid assets like real estate. So hedge with your other hard assets. Larry and uh, mentioned the, the gold and silver. Bitcoin, the correlation traders are back on Bitcoin. Oh, it's a risk asset. It's a risk asset. But the narrative is changing, and it's changing because of people like Luke who are pulling out the reality of the mathematics on the debt spiral. It's excellent work. Lynn does the same type of work. Preston has been focused on this his whole career. It's so simple, people. It is a death spiral. Why? Because we have grown the debt burden too large to ever be able to escape it with a reasonable GDP growth rate. So hedge your bets. Don't change the narrative just because the, uh, the, the, the uh, Federal Reserve thinks they can change the narrative. The markets are fighting back, and you need your insurance. Over to you guys.
0: You know, when you say we've grown the, the debt burden, something that Larry just said kind of blew my mind. I had not thought about it like this until he mentioned it in context. <clears throat> We're saying that, like, the, inter- the interest on the debt is at $750 billion, and it's about to pass the $800 billion the United States spends on the military. That's mind-blowing. In perspective, also, I mean, you guys are probably all familiar with this thing, the U.S. Debt <clears throat> U.S. national debt, according to that, is like thirty-one trillion dollars. I mean, these numbers are so freaking mind-boggling. Is there, is there, like, is there any way to save this thing?
10: Mathematically, Alex, no. But and I'll, I'll go. I'll step back a second. But here, look at this. You mentioned 31 trillion. You didn't even include the unfunded obligations of 170 trillion, Alex. Go to the bottom right-hand corner of that screen and then get really scared when they show Medicare and Medicaid uh, obligations owed to the US citizens of 170 trillion. So total debt burden of the USA is actually 200 trillion, not 31 trillion, okay? Yeah, you guys ain't it, ever getting that back. It's mathematically then, impossible.
0: So the the, the the other thing that goes into that, what you just talked about, the $173 trillion, is $22 trillion worth of Social Security liabilities. You know, I mean, <laughs> people have been talking about this for, you know, almost 20 years now that I can remember, maybe longer. You guys are older than me, but <laughs> a lot of people are aware that, that that at some point that Social Security thing is just not going to be possible anymore. So there's a lot of people relying on that. I mean, just what a a freaking mess.
2: You know, it's interesting, Alex, with Social Security, I'm coming up on that. And 20 years ago, I would have said I'm going to wait as long as possible because I'm going to live a long time and I'll have a much higher rate of uh, return on Social Security. And my outlook on it has completely changed. I'm going to access it as soon as possible because exactly what you said. I don't think it's going to be there uh, in uh, in 20 or 30 years. It's exactly
4: what I told my mom when uh, she was going through all of her retirement stuff uh, last year or two years ago. She was she was saying the same thing. Peter and I told her, "I'm like, no, you need to take advantage of it because it's not going to be around by the time I get to the point of actually like being capable of having the age
2: to collect it."
0: I have talking to people who, who kind of refuse to believe it too. I mean, and it's one of those natural lizard brain kind of trying to protect themselves thing. And I, I just feel bad for them. I don't, I don't even like, you know, and I, they, they, they don't believe it because they don't want to believe it because they're relying on it. Real quick A lot before, of hands uh, here. Yeah. Real
4: quick before uh, wicked takes it because wicked was the first one. Um, just to like, I wanted to also just chime in and reiterate what Lawrence and, uh, Greg were talking about with like the, the, uh, commodities being at low levels. Also copper is at like scraping the bottom for inventories. Um, and I've mentioned in a couple spaces in the last couple weeks, how steel is becoming a very difficult, um, material to get their hands on, especially for the oil and gas industry. And then, um, I would like on top of that, obviously there's the SPR releases and everything that we've all talked about. It's just like, we're looking, in my opinion, we're looking at a pretty serious
3: commodity shortage and probably price inflation going into 23. The copper chart looks fantastic. Take, pull it up on trader view. Looks
4: fantastic for us
3: investors, but it's going to make,
4: uh, producing products as far as like, Energy infrastructure quite expensive <laughs> well exactly
0: all right let's hey, go so- ahead let's let's hit some of these hands and then we'll we'll keep rolling with any major topics you guys want to talk about wicked did you did you have a question or something
11: yeah I had a question so um I don't know if anyone you anybody saw uh Jeff booth recently on the Bitcoin layer with uh Nick batia but basically at the end he was saying how he believes u s is um is tightening the Fed's tightening um to basically cause China to fail. Uh and that they're in the middle of a debt spiral right now and then there's no way out for them. So he you know he kind of thinks that the Fed is playing a China game right now and I wanted your opinion on that.
4: Well there's also the Euro dollar market too that he's also fighting at the same time. So I, I definitely agree.
0: I don't think he was asking you, Mike.
11: <laughs> I know. <laughs> <laughs> Mike's smart. Mike's I appreciate
0: Mike's opinion. James, Larry, Greg, Jeff, you guys uh, have opinions? Go on ahead, Larry. Go yeah. ahead.
11: Um, yeah. some, let's get some gray-haired opinions here.
3: Blow up Europe. I mean, look, that's that's probably above my pay grade uh, in terms of knowledge of the in, inner workings of the CIA and the Pentagon and the geopolitics. I mean, it's possible. I, I tend to just think the Fed is stupid. So, I, I, you know, if that's their strategy, it, it sounds too smart for, for them to pull you know, to think of that and pull it off just on general principle. But but I think it's a good point that and it was pointed out in the credit bubble bulletin by Doug Nolan, who does a great job of doing that every Saturday morning, that China is, is probably one of the largest bubbles out there in the China property market. And it could be a place that kind of starts the next leg down. So, um, you know, it, what they are doing is going to have an impact on China, no doubt.
9: Yeah, I mean, look, the the China property market is it's their savings account, right? It's, that's how they that's where they put all of their earnings and savings is in, into uh, into real estate, and so that is the absolute bellwether of that economy, and if that and that's clearly a, a major issue, and and just as Larry said, that that could be a leading factor there. So well, it should it already is right, James. Yeah, it already
10: Evergrand. I mean, yeah, we're one exactly. year into Evergrande, ever Evergrande, day, or Evergrande, however you want to say it. So
9: again, right, the illiquid liquid assets. The question is, Greg, is how much are they really admitting to how bad the, that market is? Right? I mean, we don't we don't really know just how bad it is there. They're just like BlackRock. They're gating people from getting their money out uh, of uh, of their bank accounts. They're gating people from getting their their deposits back from from all of the Evergrande and and uh, and the other huge investment, um, the the huge real estate projects that that people invested in. They're not ever going to see an actual property out of right. So it's hard to
10: tell. I think it's worse than than they admit. Personally. Well, it was worse a year ago um, when Evergrande first hit the, uh, the skids, but let's, let's make sure everybody understands how property markets work and how they're set on cap rates and how cap rates are indirectly linked to Fed funds and the 10-year U.S. Treasury. Uh, it's like everything. You have a mark on your book, and you're praying that no other office tower in your vicinity trades for a higher cap rate, which means a lower price, then you have it marked on your book for because god forbid you have to mark down your book and admit to your investors that you're not actually up on the year you're down and then your christmas bonus will be negative or not negative it just won't exist so there's a lot of year end mark year end mark and year end games that, that that take place uh, and property is notoriously illiquid especially in china so well said james it's the tip of the iceberg but it's been melting for That iceberg's been melting for well over a year in in, uh, China. Um, Far be it from me to ever disagree with Jeff Booth, but respectfully, I disagree with Jeff on that subject, but he's way smarter than me and way more experienced. So I'm going to have to re-examine my thesis, but I'm more in Larry's camp. I don't think the Fed, you know, does the Fed really want to blow up America to blow up China? There's better ways and don't want to bring him up, but I have to now. Jason Lowry and the winner-take-all within the, uh, the Bitcoin and the Bitcoin strategy. Uh, Wicked brought it up the last time I was on stage with him. Jason Lowry said to the United States government, he goes, we're here to negotiate your surrender. You've already lost the war. We're here to negotiate your surrender. That's the truth. Whoever jumps on board first, Will negotiate the best form of surrender, the best terms of surrender, and China will go down by themselves. So, my view.
0: You know, I think it's important to put this into context, and Wicked could probably do it better because he was actually there uh, when Jason said this at MIT. But my understanding is, the the official he was talking to from the White House asked him, "Why don't we just buy half the Bitcoin?" Right, Wicked? Do you want to comment on that?
11: Yeah, I mean this. You know, so this is coming from Jason, so take that with a grain of salt, right? We didn't, we can't verify this ourselves, but that's what he said. He said that you know these aides basically asked him, you know, what do you want us to do? You want us to just buy half the Bitcoin? And he told him that it's too late to do that. You know, it's it's literally too late. You you couldn't do that even if you wanted to, because the truth of the matter, <clears throat> he didn't say this. I'm just saying this now as my own opinion. But the truth of the matter is that you know over half the Bitcoin is in the hands of people who aren't selling it for any amount of fiat. That's just the truth. You know, you could give them all the fiat and they wouldn't fucking take it because they know that fiat is worthless. And as soon as you start to price it in terms of all the fiat, <laughs> then then that just reaffirms that fiat's worthless, right? So it's just a snowball effect where the higher you know, the higher you bid up the price, you know, people think the higher you bid up the price, the more sellers come to market. I actually think it's the opposite. I think that that can happen at in the beginnings, right? When people aren't really... Paying attention or realizing that dollars collapsing, but I mean the hardened, you know, hodlers of last resort—they ain't selling. And I'm telling—I'll tell you what—they have more than half Bitcoin. So like, they already lost is what he is what he told. Them. Yeah, the, the, Bitcoin is
3: a and good. I mean, it's a luxury good that in, the demand increases as the price goes up. It's it's uh it's counterintuitive, but it's true.
0: Well, there's this, Larry. You're gonna understand this. There's this effect in 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 the gold industry where when the gold gold price is rising um, a whole bunch more gold becomes available, not necessarily through mining, but through scrap, you know, cause what happens is the price goes up. People are like, well, I can sell my gold through scrap. And so that adds to the available supply for sale. Um, and the, the interesting thing, obviously the difference between Bitcoin and gold is that gold, you you can always mine more gold, but there's, there's going to become a point in time where you can't mine more Bitcoin
3: right i mean it's bitcoin is the only commodity in the world where the supply is not affected by the price
0: yeah it's inelastic
3: It's incredibly unique i mean in the in 50 years we'll have twice as much gold on the planet if we continue at the same rate i mean we we grow it at about 1.6 percent a year and you've always got you know the gold in you know in women's jewelry that could be melted down i mean hundred thousand dollar gold and you know nobody's gonna wear gold jewelry anymore
0: yeah uh, maybe it just depends mm-hmm. on how worthless how about, the
10: dollar is <laughs> how about preston is preston still on stage or did he i'd love to no he he, he no. disappeared so he so Damn, he, he, because he had, had that interview with jason so you know but uh anyway okay hey foss are you gonna see jason tonight uh, i'm not sure where jason is tonight but i'm gonna see him in uh, january um am i supposed to see him tonight was that not tonight wasn't there a
11: meetup uh, uh i live in I canada so there might up. be a yeah, Jan- no, it's
10: J- Jan 12th. I'm gonna be at a Jan 12th meetup in Boston. Uh, and Jason is attending. Right. I don't think Larry can Maybe make that's it what right, I was thinking enough.
3: Yeah, no, I can't make that, but my partner will, David Foley will be there.
10: Those are great Boston meetups, guys. The Boston meetups are top-notch, really, really smart people. Boston's a great money center, right? The city of Boston. So there's a lot of people asking the questions. And it's really cool to meet the people who work at the large money management firms that come out to these meetups and they come on their own time. And because they're concerned about their day job and how many people are missing the reality right in front of their face. So you know that Boston is one of the biggest money hubs in uh, in uh, the United States. Very old, smart money. And they're asking the right questions. Whether you love Jason or not, Jason Lowry, he's going to drop some uh, some intel and i say that as not a spook intel i say it as he'll drop some intelligence i hope people are open-minded about his viewpoints on the world jason excuse me uh preston had him on a podcast that i thought thought was second to none so wicked uh i hope to see you in person someday i'm not going to dox you i don't even know how to do that but uh someday i'd like to meet you in person in boston
9: yeah my show. just to Just to to reiterate Uh, what Greg is saying, Fidelity and State Street, two of, the, two of the five biggest money managers in the world are in Boston. So it's huge money there.
10: And when I was trading, my trading days, high-yield bonds, the most important high-yield bond buyer in Canada lived in Boston, and it wasn't Fidelity. It was an account called Loomis Sales, Okay. And Loomis Sales ran the Canadian high yield bond market out of Boston. There's no surprise that I made it certain that my Christmas dinner, most important Christmas dinners, were spent in Boston. Okay. Boston, and this is why Canada lives rent free in the attic of the USA, and no one, you know, even knows we exist up there because the big money in the United States can throw Canada around like a little rag doll, and they do it on a regular basis. So make sure you understand that might is right, and all the might lives in the United States when it comes to financial might.
4: I love your analogies, dude.
0: <laughs> all great community communicators have great analogies. All these guys have great analogies. Larry has some great analogies. Um, okay. Let's do some announcements real quick, and then we'll keep rolling. What I'd like to do, if you guys want to, is for each one of you, I mean, James started this morning, but for each one of you, if you want to talk about what's on your radar is the most important macroeconomic thing going on, and then we'll just let everybody respond to that. Um, But you're listening to Cafe Bitcoin. Good morning and welcome. If you've never been here before, we do talk about Bitcoin, and we do it every day. Today, we're doing this thing called macro strategy with Greg Foss, Larry Lapard. James Lavish and Jeff Ross. Uh, and we, we do this once a month. This uh, show is also uh, the place for your morning news preferred hangout for some of the smartest minds in the industry. It's also a podcast. If you can't catch a live show, you can get it on fountain Spotify and Apple. I work with Swan Bitcoin, which is awesome. Uh, go download the Swan app. If you would like to, it's really cool. Uh, rate it, review it. If you want to, we do appreciate that. Um, Why is it so cool? Well, there's uh, lots of signal in there. If you want to learn, there's educational articles. Obviously you can do the things you can do on Swan. You can buy Bitcoin, all that kind of stuff, but there's no shit coins in there, which by itself is pretty awesome. Uh, Pacific Bitcoin was pretty fun. Um, All these guys, I think, uh, from macro strategy were there. We did a macro strategy live in the Swan Dome. And uh, we're going to do it again next year, PacificBitcoin2023.com. If you want to buy tickets, they're fully refundable until July They're more than half off right now. All right, let's keep rolling. Uh, we've got a couple of hands up. Let's hit those, and then we'll start digging into whatever major topics you guys want to hit. Brandon, good morning. Do you have a question or something to add?
1: Yes, good morning, guys. Thanks for Thanks for being here. All of you. Um, Foster, you just talked about this a minute ago, and I know James has written about the death spiral. And, you know, for the most part, I think everyone here kind of believes that route and, and the, the debt service is just getting unsustainable. Um, is there any way to grow GDP um, enough where it's it's a whimper and not a bang as this kind of rolls over, as the economy rolls over this decade? Um, obviously, deglobalization, de- you know, being a thing. Is there any amount of jobs uh, to onshore or is it new tech, you know, like Bitcoin, what have you, that can grow our, our way out of it, I guess? And that's because we talk about the debt spiral. Is there any way out the other side?
3: I'll answer that. Because uh, Luke, Luke, Luke talks to this a lot. Um, you know, look, we got out of it post-World War II. We had the same kind of debt, right? The exact same debt to GDP that we have today. And they did it. But they had a much better set of de- uh, demographics. They had a bunch of young people. They were the GIs that just come back from the war. They needed houses and washing machines, cars, etc. And so they did financial repression, and they basically had high rates of inflation with low rates on the bonds. And they grew their way out. They grew into a nominal, you know, GDP to debt ratio that was livable. I mean, Israel grew their way out through very high inflation. Argentina has grown their way out. The only way to grow your way out of this thing is to inflate like crazy. We're going to have massive inflation, but. Luke actually makes the argument that we would be better off to centrally plan for massive inflation, print the money and spend it on reshoring infrastructure, um, you know, all the things that we have not invested in so that we can rebuild our manufacturing economy, all the things we sent offshore to China. And that strategically that would be the best move. And the pain involved would be the inflation that we would absorb. But if we had 15 or 20 percent inflation for seven or eight years, and we, we took the money that we printed and we used it to, to build a bigger uh, economy in terms of we invested in the things we need, infrastructure, you know, and manufacturing and manufacturing jobs, that we would come out looking a lot better, you know, in spite of the fact that, you know, bondholders, in that scenario, bondholders are going to get destroyed. Uh, but, you know, workers, young workers, they're going to see their wages go up a lot. And, you know, inflation cuts both ways. I mean, it it hurts the people who have wealth, if they can't protect against it. But if, if you're a young person and you're looking at your wages going up 20% a year, you know, and you have a job, well, that works. So so there is a scenario that's a positive scenario with, with very high inflation, but also economic growth. And you could get the lines to go in the right direction where the, you know, the GDP grows more quickly than the debt. Um, I think that's unlikely given, the, you know, the political constellation that we have. I think they're going to drive this sucker right into the ground. But but it's not
10: important. So, so, Larry. Yep. Uh, I, I, everything you said is 100% correct, except, well, not except, you just didn't mention that after World War II, the US was a trade exporter. Okay. Exactly. Right now, it, it, that makes the math not able to work in the short term, but perhaps it works in the long term, but it doesn't work globally. Okay. Because global trade is a net sum zero game. Okay, so global debt, total global debt is four times total global economy. So don't just focus on the USA. That may save the USA and every other country in the world is done. It's over. So the USA has no one to trade with. And then those other countries are going to be like, well, my worthless, whatever you want to call it, I better buy Bitcoin. So all paths lead to Bitcoin, even if the USA could pull this rabbit out of the hat, which they can't because it would cause global Depression, emerging markets to zero, strife, and all sorts of human suffering everywhere. But go try it. I guess that is the one solution that could work for the USA, but it destroys the rest of the world, which brings on global war. It brings on global famine. It brings on Putin taking Bitcoin for oil rather than the US dollar. So make sure you play out all the scenarios and the impacts just outside of the USA. Sorry, I'm not criticizing. I'm just saying it for the audience.
3: Right, Greg. And look, one, I don't think what I talked about is going to happen. The question was just put to Brandon, my CrossFit partner from uh, from Pacific Bitcoin, who he and I partnered up on a wad. He kicked my ass. I mean, you see why I was on the national hockey team. But, uh, you know, the the question was, is there a way out that doesn't involve, you know, a depression? And, And there is an inflationary solution. Having said that, you know, that's incredibly good for hard money assets. Right. I mean, it's, you know, because and it's incredibly ba- bad for bondholders. I mean, you know, for 40 years, bondholders have lived rent free and and stockholders, too, on this bubble created by the fact that the Fed has manipulated money. And so if you kind of and, and who's gotten screwed in that whole equation? You know, the Midwestern factory worker. Right. Just gotten completely hosed. You know, the middle class has been destroyed as a result of that and shipping all the jobs to China. You know, what, what's necessary to balance things is to have the opposite of that occur. Bondholders need to get destroyed, and people who can do useful work need to make more money. And so there is there is a scenario that we go more in that direction, and, and things would be better. Having said that, that doesn't really change, Greg, your investment thesis or my, or anyone on this call's investment thesis, which is sound money wins, because they'll have to debase the currency enormously to pull that off,
8: right? And I always like to throw this in there. I totally agree with everything you guys just said. The other very interesting caveat to this, even though everything is set up very similarly to the post-World War II 1940s, is back then it was it was illegal to own gold, the only other sound money alternative. And obviously, Bitcoin didn't exist. This time around, you can old, you can actually own sound money. So you can kind of opt out of what the Fed is doing. So to Larry's point, that's why sound money and hard assets will do well this time around because we can opt out of the system this time and just kind of watch the clown world uh, <laughs> devolve.
0: Yeah, one thing that's incredible about it is uh, that it's an instant exit ramp, right? And, and the lizard people are, are, are profoundly aware of the exit ramp. I mean, Christine Lagarde talks about it a lot.
3: I love this lizard people. This is, uh, you say we're good at coming up with, uh, with phrases. That's a great one, Alex.
0: Thank you. Yeah, we're you know it's a good it's a good way to move that Overton window just a little bit because it's you know it's a little funny and all right uh, Brandon thanks for being for coming up we're going to keep rotating that speaker slot so we can let other people come up and ask questions Peter do you want do you have something
2: Yeah, uh, a quick comment and then I have a question. So the comment is I loved it when Larry said that when, if gold is worth a hundred thousand uh, dollars an ounce, no one's going to wear it around their neck anymore which, of course, is because the threat of it being stolen and Bitcoin is just so perfect. It's such a perfect solution for that because it's unconfiscatable. Um, My question has to do with, so it has to do kind of a lot of the stuff you guys are talking about, um, particularly, uh, uh, Greg, when you said, you know, the United States can throw Canada around at will, um, you know, while they're up there in the attic. And, you know, basically the – I think I've got this right. The world, the way it works is countries are forced to um, sell commodities that the United States in particular wants because they need U.S. dollars to buy energy. And my question is... At what point does one of these uh, countries, uh, you know, they've already been talking about it. Saudi Arabia, for instance, uh, talked about uh, uh, selling oil in uh, yuan or in other currencies. But at what point does a critical commodity like rare earth metals that mainly come out of China um, come into play where, you know, a country just says, you know what? we're not selling this stuff for U.S. dollars. We're not selling, we're, we are not going to sell this to you, the United States, unless you allow us to purchase um, energy in a different, uh, uh, with a different currency.
10: I'll take a stab. Uh, try not to dominate. Sorry, guys. But look, it, it, it's, it's a game theory question. Um, you've already seen, Prior to Saudi Arabia, you've seen—I'd encourage people to, to look at Putin's speech that uh, was translated, and you have to, I have to trust it was translated correctly, about how the USA manipulates uh, uh, the world through the U.S. petrodollar. And, you know, having his uh, Treasury—U.S. Treasuries, which heretofore have been used as the store of value asset, global reserve asset, not currency, asset— U.S. Treasuries. His were frozen uh, when uh, he wanted to uh, use some of that savings to uh, fund his uh, his uh, war. Um, And I'm not endorsing war. I'm just saying he got his funds frozen on the SWIFT network. Those are the risks you have when you use the U.S. dollar, the the U.S. petrodollar, as uh, your global currency and your reserve asset. Okay, U.S. Treasuries, reserve asset. The game theory will play out starting in smaller nations, in my opinion. They won't be uh, uh, a G7 or G10-ish nation. Uh, when I say G10-ish, you know, Russia and China, both in the G7. But uh, one thing you need to understand is uh, there's a Brazil factor where it's very commodity intensive and it's much closer to uh, some of the other countries in the world that are adopting uh, some Bitcoin uh uh payment rails, etc, to the extent uh, in Mexico and then obviously what's happening in El Salvador. So it's game theory. It's a great question. You can never I think the the uh, path is clear, but you can't put a time frame on it. So always give a target but not a time frame. So the target is energy priced in Bitcoin. The time frame uncertain. But I will say it's not likely to happen to a in a friendly, nation like canada although i would endorse it hundred percent but most likely to happen in a unfriendly nation uh potentially russia potentially japan uh, excuse me um china and every all the naval all the people come back well who's going to protect the oil uh, through the uh suez canal and the straits of hormuz and everything if it's not the u.s navy uh you know japan's not just standing there idly uh not uh, building their navy for various other purposes as well. Sorry, I hope I said China. I meant China. China's, you know, building up aircraft carriers and the like. So this moves, play the game theory, play probabilities. It's a game of probabilities and hedging against the tail risks. Okay, people? It's a game of hedging against the tail risks. And you don't want to own zero Bitcoin and wake up one morning and see that Russia is pricing oil in Bitcoin. I promise you that. It's a tail risk, but eventually that tail risk gets more and more likely as the world unravels more and more and the U.S. dollar gets exposed for the shit coin it is. So, you know, I don't know when, when it's going to happen, but I'm highly confident that the thesis, thesis of uh, Jason Lowry, Michael Saylor, digital energy for natural resource energy is sound. As an engineer, I endorse it. There's some physicists that get a little bent out of shape, but you know what? It's logic and play the games of logic over to you guys.
0: Yeah, I'm, I'm personally, I'm a huge fan of the Bitcoin is energy kind of point of view. And the reason why is, is that money is always stored human energy. Wealth is basically human energy. It, wealth is not created by debt and monetary expansion. That's a, fu- that's a fucking illusion. Real wealth comes from, in a first principles perspective, human energy, like labor. And that's why gold represented, in my mind, um, a great way to store that energy for thousands of years of human history. And it was probably the best money we've ever seen right up until Bitcoin. All right, Phil, do you have a question? Or something to add?
12: Yeah, no, uh, Alex, I completely agree with that last statement you said in the whole Bitcoin insurgency thing and and fast bringing up that Russia could very well start pricing things in Bitcoin as it did with uh rubles and also kind of forcing the world on like a quasi gold standard as well. Uh really interesting there. Um but question for the room, the whole like inflation is the only way out. When when do y'all see that that playing Because current monetary policy, to me, just seems completely antithetical to that entire idea. I mean, Fed, uh, Powell said that uh, 2% is the goal. Whether or not you believe that, I think that's out of the question. Because, I mean, believe it or not, he's working to end the Fed put as it is and gain back credibility in this institution. So I'm just a little confused. Used of why we think money printing is really in the cards because i don't really see that happening until savings rate is i think seven and a half percent is usually when the fed starts to lower rates because at the end of the day they are keynesians and so any money that people save that they think is too much they want to have that go out into the economy but uh like regardless like printing money is completely going to be antithetical to what they are trying to do and to maintain credibility and also the whole raising rates and drawing trillions of dollars into the reverse repo facility. I mean, what they're trying to do is gain back their monetary independence and also destroy the offshore dollar market because that has been completely causing chaos in our markets ever since. Uh, The City of London has been dictating our monetary policy with LIBOR, but we're not even on that anymore. We're on SOFR. So this whole thing about printing money I don't really think is in the cards. At least Powell does want that to be in the cards for the foreseeable future, especially if you consider – now, again, you might disagree with this, but Judy Shelton was on a paywall
0: summer.: uh, episode with Grant Williams. <laughs>
12: Uh, I'm, I'm almost done, Alex. Uh, and she let's, basically let's, let's, said let's, 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 that there was a plan on, under the Trump administration, if she was on the FOMC board, that you could issue 150-year uh, and 100-year treasury bonds and basically fix the deficit by having 5% of that cupo- coupon be paid in gold. And I think Bitcoin could also be a major player. And Magu has even mentioned this as well in that if the Fed actually bought Bitcoin, let that appreciate – you could very well fix the whole deficit that way. So, I mean, there might not be free market workers or thinkers at the Fed, uh, even though the, the Dallas Federal Reserve is colloquially uh, qu- 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 known as the free market Fed. Um, I, I just think that it's in the best interest of these financial institutions, being the Federal Reserve System and the commercial banks, to save their skin any way that they can. And whether or not that's with sound money policies, which certainly looks like it, might very well be, uh, is another question. But, I mean, the whole printing money is our only way out. Just to me, frankly, sounds ridiculous. And I think that there could be a lot more thought put into a solution of how to get out of this mess. Thank you.
10: Uh, I'm just going to summarize. Phil, it's grade 11 mathematics, okay? The only way to solve the debt spiral is by printing money. It's called an error term. Please study up. There is no other escape. You cannot solve it any other way than by increasing the amount of money that's used to pay a coupon on your ever-expanding Right, but you could do that
12: without printing. You could incentivize people to invest back into the United States
10: by wanting to buy treasuries. Sorry, there's, there's, there's actually flows. that much money? No, it's not enough money in the world to do that. Not enough money in the world to pay down the U.S. deficit. That is why the U.S. Not is the global reserve. Spending? Dude, you got to do the math. The global economy is $100 trillion and the U.S. deficit is running at 130% of its own economy, and total global debt is four times the global economy. We're so already not past even it. if they allow Bitcoin to appreciate no, no, and take care of that it? That might be a way, but I don't see that coming before they have to turn the monetary spigots on to save the oh. ponzi.
12: Well, that's a difference, because I do.
0: You, you think, see it wait, as... Wait, as wait, wait. You stuff. think Bitcoin's going to appreciate and absorb all of this?
12: Uh, like on a long-term thing, Right. And if not Bitcoin, they'll probably it with gold because they're not like Bitcoin maximalists like we
11: are. Well, you also have to consider the multiplier effect. So if they did come in, you know, if they pumped a trillion dollars into Bitcoin overnight, uh, it wouldn't, the market have wouldn't go up by a trillion. It'd, it'd have a multiplier effect. So, I mean, that would... Well, right. Like, I don't know. know how
12: it looks
11: like on a short term,
12: but s- still... The Fed's trying to preserve its credibility and printing money is definitely not going to do that. And they are they're, they will want to do everything they possibly can to make the dollar and treasuries still look like the cleanest shirt in the dirty laundry. And so that's why we do see this uh, very, very clear competition between the BRICS nations and even creating like a reserve currency based on some sort of commodities. And if that's not signaling anything to the Fed, then I just think that's, Silly. Right. So let's unpack it a little bit. It, first of all, the the
9: U.S. Treasury is still the reserve asset of the world. That's just what it is. I mean, that's that's just reality. You know, Powell has he's positioned himself saying that he he wants to tackle inflation. That is his primary concern. So he's trying to save his own credibility, right? And he's going to raise rates and he's going to keep them there until the economy rolls over or the bond market breaks. So Alex was asking, you know, what's everybody looking at? Uh, what, what's your primary thing you're watching? Well, I'm watching the, the treasury auctions. I'm, I'm watching how they go. Because when the bond market breaks, it's, it, it's kind of game over. The, the, the ref has blown the whistle and there's, the, there's nothing the Fed can do except turn back around and in some way, shape, or form, QE that means printing money. Any way you look at it, QE is printing
12: money. Okay, so, so before you keep going, because so, you know, I'm just a yeah. hobbyist fucking moron idiot on the internet, can you just explain to you know what you mean by the bond market breaking? Is that all global bonds? Yeah, it's it's bond?
9: it's illiquidity in the bond market, right? So the U.S. Treasury market, it, it, it's it is it, it's what runs the world. Everybody needs treasuries. Everybody needs dollars. Let's put it that way. So when when like it, like Greg was saying
12: before, right? Like treasuries are a way that people scale like billions of dollars. I I under, understand that. Yeah. Now, yeah. like, what would be a way to incentivize the purchase of treasuries? I mean, have, have hasn't there been like? Hey Phil, know,
0: let let right, the man let, let finish let, his point let, before you before you run over him. Let I him finish.
12: Sure. I mean,
9: okay, I, I'm I'm not sure where you're going with that. Uh, what what happens when the treasury market breaks? Well, it's not going to break. They won't let it break. That's the point. They will not let it break where it goes illiquid. OK, so you're, you're watching these Treasury auctions from week to week and they're tailing and tailing and tailing, which means that the the auction is not going as well as expected every single week. And so those are signs. Those are red flags. Those are stop signs that we're kind of running through right now. But going back to to what you were saying about money printing and, and why why you don't see them. do, Look, they, everything leads to higher inflation or else we, we will absolutely default on our debt. There's just no way around it. We have to allow inflation to run a little bit hot. So Powell, going back to what I was saying before, Powell, is, he has stated that he wants to tackle inflation. That's his primary concern. He's watching all the indicators in the rear view, rear view mirror, right? And so he's raising rates. He's going to keep them there until something happens, whether it's the economy clearly rolls over, GDP clearly rolls over, and we are deep into, like we are, we are in a recession, then he'll stop and he'll either reverse course or he will uh, not, he'll, he'll just not raise rates any further, okay? Or they'll start pumping money back into the system in some way, shape, or form. There are a number of ways they can do that, okay? So, but again, that's inflationary. Anytime you expand the money supply, it leads to inflation of prices. It's inflation. And so just like Greg said, we're going to have to re- let the, the economy run hot. Whether or not they admit that it's 4 or 5% inflation, whatever they want to do to manipulate the CPI, it's, it's pretty much a joke as we look at it right now anyways. So if, if whatever they do, they're going to let it run hot, to let GDP run hot on a nominal basis in order to inflate away the debt. Higher nominal GDP means higher nominal dollars to tax means higher nominal uh, budgetary uh, availability. And so they don't have to print, they don't have to sell as many treasuries going forward, and they can pay down that debt. That's the, that's the game plan. And there's every single path leads to expansion of money supply. It's just the way it is.
12: There's There's no way around that, period. Okay, that that's interesting so I just want to like play back the last part of what you said because I hadn't considered that so I like a nominal GDP basically means that that's more dollars to to tax so in a way exactly the, so well, they let them in, in let a process, way I mean where are those dollars GDP coming expand. from like, do, yeah. do they already exist in the system and they just tax them more I'm a little confused like is there like like credits creation in in that scenario? I don't know exactly what you're asking.
9: i don't I don't understand what you're asking. It, it, with inflation, as prices go higher and you have higher tax revenues, then you're able to pay down debt that you've already issued with cheaper dollars. That's right. that's the math. it's It's just that's the simple math of it. And so that's the path.
12: there's It's really difficult to get around any other any other way. So buy in that inflation mean like higher prices or actual creation of more money?
10: They're hand okay. in glove. They're hand in glove. But let's exactly. go back to the other part of the scenario. Larry re- laid this out. It's called financial repression. It involves the second part. As long as the bond market yields are not allowed to follow the inflation trends which means they're suppressing bond market yields using a form of yield curve control such that all of this comes out of the bond market. Okay. The bond market is the whipping boy. It's Larry's financial repression. The only way I don't think it's possible, but it's the only solution who in their right minds owns bonds in that scenario, the fed, just like in Japan, the only buyer of Japan, Japanese JGBs, Japanese government bonds at a 25 basis point 10 year yield is the Japanese government or the treasury. So like the math works, you just got to understand what the implications are, not just on the United States, but to the rest of the world as well, people, because global trade is a zero sum game and you squeeze one end of the balloon and it pops out the other end. So I like to look at it, Phil, with all due respect on a global basis, okay? And you can't argue with the math. 400 trillion of debt globally, 100 trillion global GDP. If you can make that math work, you're a genius because it means that GDP has to grow at least at 15% annually everywhere in the world to make it balance without money printing, very simply. So, on a global basis, hang
0: on, Phil. I'm going to pause you right there, brother, because you've had a bunch of opportunities to ask some questions. I want to keep this thing rolling. I do appreciate you coming up, Phil. Uh, welcome back, Preston Pish.
6: Hey, I just wanted to say to Phil, if you've never watched uh, Ray Dalio's thirty-minute video on how the economic machine works, I would it's highly is great. Encourage, yeah, for me, I don't think people can can wrap their head around what "quote unquote" money is until they've probably watched that video and they can see
12: how right. In- it's credit creation.
0: All right, we're gonna keep rolling. So, what I'd like to do is um, hit the most important object that you guys are paying attention to on your radars, and just kind of go around and get some views from you guys. Larry, what's the uh, what's the most important object on your radar right
3: now? You know, I just look for things. I look for um, uh, it's like whack a mole, right? I'm looking for things that pop up. You know, things that show evidence of breaking. So, you know, Starwood and and and. Uh, you know, BlackRock capping their the withdrawals in the funds. Oh, that's another sign, right? The summer, you know, the gilt falling apart or gilt yields going up and the, the pound getting crushed. Oh, that's another sign. I mean, I just watch all the prices. And then, of course, I'm, I'm laser focused on the Bitcoin, gold and silver prices because they're, they're, they're going to sniff the debasement before the debasement even occurs. So, um, you know, th- those are kind of the main things. The other thing I'm watching very carefully is the stock market because. It's huge, and it's way overvalued, and it's, and it's part of the, you know, it's living on hopium. And uh, I think we're beginning to see it start to seriously unwind, and as it does, uh, it's going to make the Fed's problem even larger because a lot of the wealth effect in the United States is based on people having money in stocks that they think only go up because since 2009, with free money, that's what's happened. Stocks have only gone up. There's a guy on Twitter who's talking about selling his house to buy more Tesla. I hope he doesn't because he's going to get his ass handed to him. Tesla's going down. So, you know, I just kind of watch all the financial markets, but most importantly, I watch for news stories that indicate signs of distress of quote unquote, something breaking because something is going to break. I mean, this is to me, the time we're in right now, I was, I was very active in the summer of 2007, the two Bear Stearns, you know, real estate funds blew up and went to zero very quickly. And I knew there was a housing bubble going on. I had the same trade that Barry had on. I didn't have it. I didn't know what a CDS was. I was just short. You know, Lehman and MBIA and, you know, Fannie and Freddie and all that shit. And, um, you know, but it took time, right? I mean, the GFC didn't really occur until September, October of 08. So, you know, what happened here was Powell hit the brakes. The economy went through the windshield or is in the process of going through the windshield. And, you know, it's going to take a little bit of time, but something big is going to break. And then when they do, there's going to be a pivot. And I know Preston agrees with me on this. And it's, they're going to have to print so much money, their eyes are going to fucking bleed. It's going to, the Fed balance sheet's going to $25 trillion on the next round, in my opinion. So, so that's what I'm watching for. I'm watching for something to break, and it will. In and, my opinion. and Larry, this is the part that's really important.
6: The more intervention that they continue to do, the more they're destroying the amount of uh, vendors that are supplying the parts and pieces of all these supply chains. Exactly. So, and so if we used to have 10 vendors that, that provided widget A, and then they step in with a small amount of printing and then it reduces the number of vendors to seven, and now we're doing, now, now you're at the end and you have maybe three vendors that are providing widget A, and now it's two. That's a massive reduction in the 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 ability of somebody to acquire that widget and so as that becomes more consolidated and and that's what you're seeing across every single sector on the planet and now you're finally i would i would say like the big swift change that occurred and i'm not saying it's because russia invaded ukraine it's that was a seminal point in, in time in history that I think you're seeing this entire supply chain just in time priced to perfection is now unraveling itself in the opposite direction. And as they try to print and create fictitious units in order to throw it into this economy, as everybody's incentivized to, to continue to overconsume in an even more aggressive way than they have, you're seeing the, the, the pricing of credit, which was priced to perfection is now undoing itself. And everything that you look at, you know, each announcement that you see each day is a breakdown in those supply chains. So if we go through a big deflationary fit, which I think could totally happen here in the next six months to a year, right, they're going to step in, like Larry's saying, with so much firepower and so many units. And And what's the actual effect? What pops out of that? It's the further consolidation of the supply chains. Which is going to push inflation higher as they put all those units back in it. As once once you get the recovery out of that deflationary fit, and instead of seeing seven and eight percent inflation, you're going to see 15 percent inflation or 20 percent inflation because the the communication channels and, and the interaction that these that the this global supply chain is having is it's 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 falling and caving in on itself. Jim Rickards wrote a really good book uh, called. Uh, um, sold out, or I just finished reading this. Um, yeah, I I that's think think the, the name of it. it. Sold, it's out. His yeah. sold out. sold out. It's latest. It's phenomenal. It goes into all the intricacies of what I'm describing here and how this this global supply chain system is starting to eat itself because they're just inducing all these made up fake units and they're just shoving it in the hands of anybody that will take them, right? On the once the deflationary fit comes, and so there's a consequence to this. And there's a lag factor to where you actually see the inflation pop out. And it's out of phase. So people are looking at Bitcoin right now and they're saying, it's down, it's down, it's getting murdered. Well, that's because it's a high frequency. It's the highest frequency turnover of any type of monetary unit the world's ever seen. right? So you're going to see it first there, uh, the, the impacts. right? So as they, if, as they flood the system with more monetary units, the first thing you should see is the high frequency things. The low-frequency things like real estate and all these other things that are highly capitalized, enormously capitalized in society, but it's super low-frequency turnover, those are the last things you're going to see it manifest itself. So people don't understand the phasing of it and, and how some things are in phase and out of phase, but on a long enough time frame, inflation's going higher. They're not going to be able to get this thing under control like, like Greg keeps beating the, beating the drum on this. It's mathematics. It's math.
3: Well said. I completely agree. I mean, it's a supply problem. It's not just a demand problem. Powell's trying to squelch demand with higher rates. That's not the solution. The actual solution is to bring more supply online and higher rates don't exactly lead to CapEx that brings more supply. So, I mean, the people running the show at the Fed are just beyond stupid. It's, it's, it's pitiful.
6: And, but Larry, like, I don't think they can do anything different than what they're doing. Like, they're, they're served a, lo- a losing hand. They've got like a pocket, you know, a, a two and a three and, and <laughs> of what they've been dealt. And it's, it's something that's manifest- manifested itself over decades, right? They have no winning hand here. They have to debase it. They're, all they're trying to do is, is make sure we don't break out into social unrest. But by continuing to do the actions that they're doing, they're ass- ensuring that, that we're going to arrive at that eventually. Yeah, well I'm,
10: said Preston. oh sorry Larry
6: go
3: ahead yeah, talking about you know rearranging the deck chairs i mean i look if Powell should never taken a second term if i were in his shoes i'd resign but you know the honorable thing to do would be to confess you know all the errors and talk about what we've done and and to and to move for a reset you know to move for a rooseveltian you know let's let's declare you know a one time debt jubilee and and return to a sound money standard based on bitcoin or gold but you know the odds of that happening are zero because all the people who have all the money have zero interest to play by the, you know, by fair rules.
10: Well, so remember, and you saw yesterday's press conference, I hope it's not a, you know, necessary viewing, but the Fed has two and arguably three mandates, right? Unemployment, inflation, and the third one is financial stability. And James mentions that because if the treasury market starts breaking, they can't fund themselves. So financial stability, your third mandate, is there a Fed put? Yes, I believe there's a Fed put, meaning if the Dow or the stock markets trade down far enough, the Fed will come in a la Greenspan. But let's look at the first two mandates. Unemployment full or full employment and control inflation. Well, those are two diametrically opposed uh, mandates, and that's why their job is so difficult. So yesterday, during the uh, press conference, Someone from Fox News, it had to be from Fox News, asked if the Fed would consider changing their inflation target of 2% a year. And just like clockwork, Powell says, we're not even thinking about thinking about changing the inflation target. When's the last time he used that? We're not even thinking about thinking about raising interest rates. I mean, he's a broken clock. Okay. He's right twice a day but he's a broken fucking clock. So understand that they will change inflation expectations and they will declare victory. And today, Bill Ackman, or maybe it was yesterday, and I'm sometimes a fan of Mr. Ackman and sometimes not. That's what makes a market. He believes that they should change the inflation target to 3%. I don't even think that'll be high enough, Preston. I think it'll have to be higher than that. But the telltale signal for me was that Powell said they're not even thinking about thinking about, because you know what that means? They're absolutely thinking about thinking about. And then he summarized his statement by saying, well, maybe that's a long term solution, but not in the short term. So look for those types of things. I'm just going to get on to this. And, that- then,
9: and then, Foss, I mean, the reality is that the, re- the, the actual interest rate, the actual uh, inflation rate will be higher than they admit. Because they have to show that you're you're getting a real return on bonds at some at some point, they, they have to fleece everybody. That's the reality, and so they they may admit to a you know a three percent inflation rate, but everybody knows it's five six seven percent or higher. So sorry, go ahead. Okay, so
10: what's what should be on everybody's dashboard? The VIX. Okay, watch the VIX like a hawk. There is a. Uh, options expiry this Friday, and the gamma in the market, and I don't want to get too technical, but know your Greeks, okay? So the gamma in the market is massive. That rolls over this Friday. The VIX will be free to roam uh, next week like it should. VIX increasing leads to selling off of all risk assets. Someday people will realize that Bitcoin will be correlated with the VIX, meaning if the VIX increases, the price of Bitcoin will go up. Why? Because it's insurance and that's what's supposed to happen. But watch the VIX. Watch it after this Friday. Watch oil. Watch hard assets. U.S. 10-year hovering right around 3.5% is a telltale signal because the U.S. 10-year sets monetary and interest rate policy for the whole world, like it or not. Yes, it does. U.S. 10-year at 3.5% and inflation still at 7%. Something is going to break. And I would argue that it's already broken, people. It's just the shit hasn't hit the fan. So when a bug hits your windshield, the last thing that goes through his brain is its asshole, right? I've said that with Jeff Ross before. So the bug has already hit the windshield, and the the, the asshole has already gone through its brain. We just haven't seen the true impacts of the splatter yet. And one of those splatters could be Credit Suisse. I hate to point them out again, but a 10 billion market cap for that risk in a global systemically important financial institution, it's those type of things that break that cause the Fed to reverse course. Thanks.
0: Speaking of which, Greg, what's the biggest object on your radar? Is it Credit Suisse?
10: I'd have to say it's the VIX. It always is the VIX. I'm a credit trader, okay? The VIX runs the world. VIX is a measure of risk. I know it's lost on a lot of people. But I watch the VIX like a hawk. It's at very low levels, which is, well, I shouldn't say historically. It's at very low levels from the recent uh, episodes. But here's the funny thing. It's wound as tight as a rubber band right now. Everything's bumping up against their 200-day moving averages. And when things break, things move quickly, especially when there's been an options rollover. So the VIX is my focus but it's somewhat timely because of the big options expiration that's taking place right now. then if you want to know another one, the DXY, the Dixie, watch the strength of the US dollar which is directly comparable to US ten-year rates and watch that like a hawk. Thanks.
0: Anyone want to respond to that object.
8: I'll just jump in there because that was awesome, Foss, and it, it brought back great memories of when you were talking about the the, the bee on the windshield. And uh, I think I laughed for about 20 straight minutes after you said that and you were talking. So so kudos to you with that analogy. Um, to what Foss was saying and just sort of for people in the audience, I, here's here's how I interpret what happened yesterday with Powell's speech. I think he had two options yesterday. I think he could have chosen dovishness. And if he had chosen dovishness and said, you know what, we think we're close to our terminal rate, uh, where it's nice to see inflation coming down, blah, 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 um, I think we could have seen what, what, what I call a Fed pause rally. I think, I think equities would have caught a bid, uh, and we would have had a nice little rally before facing this recessionary bear market sometime in 2023. But instead, Powell came out and he chose violence. And what do I mean by that? He chose, you know what, we're going to remain hawkish. Look at our plots. We're, we're going to go above 5%. Um, what, when he did that, and kind of this goes all the way back to what we were first talking about, the, the, the yield curve is now fully inverted at the front end, and that's not a good thing. And when the yield curve is fully inverted, basically what he did is he set the mouse trap. So if you guys remember old-fashioned mouse traps, right, those spring-loaded things that you set, and it's kind of hard to set, and it's kind of freaky because you think it's going to snap and get your finger. Um, basically, the mouse trap is set right now. So the bond market is ready to break. All we need is something to happen. And so it, it may be Credit Suisse to Foss's point. It may be some country. We don't know what it's going to be. It may be that war escalates somewhere. Some event will happen now at this point. That will basically send everything spiraling down, and the floor will drop out under risk assets, and it's going to get ugly. And then that's going to be what triggers the Fed coming back, and then going to what Preston and you know James and Lawrence and and uh, Foster were talking about earlier when they come back, and the QE infinity starts up next. And by the way, I got to say you guys stole my thunder. I've been saying that they're going to they're going to do at least 20 trillion, and you had to one up me and say 25 trillion, Larry. So, so, you know, you're always, you always got to do one better than me. Um, so, but, but it's, but it's going to be amazing. And so I would just say, be careful right now. What the, but the yield curve is signaling is that the system is ready to break. All we need is something to trigger it. So just be very careful out there.
0: We have a uh, suicide watch hotline for after the show. If you guys are super depressed or scared or whatever, we'll, we'll help you guys with that. I want to, uh, Whoa, 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 we whoa. Got-
2: Cheap Bitcoin. Cheap. Bitcoin accumulate
0: men. Let's go. That's, that's, that's the, always the solution. Um, <clears throat> so we've got Preston Pish here, which is the first time we've had him, uh, And it's, it's timely because of macro strategy. Um, I've thought about this and I'm going to rearrange the way I asked this question, because Preston, if I understand correctly, was a former pilot in the United States military. So what is the um, highest priority object on your radar? Preston
6: highest priority back to like what Greg was saying with the VIX and stuff.
0: No. Yeah. Um, so when we do macro strategy, I'm just going around asking everybody what they think is the most important thing going on. What are they, what do you keep track of that's concerning to you or what do you, what do you, what do you find fascinating or what's the most important macro issue on your radar? I, right I
6: don't now? find anything concerning. Um, I, I find all of this to be a massive opportunity. Um I mean I'm I'm with Greg. I think the VIX is really important. I watch what the dollar's doing uh pretty closely, the M2 global M2 uh numbers, which are highly, you know, correlated to the performance of the dollar itself. You know, I've said before that it's it's pretty much a Bitcoin versus dollar kind of world. And when you look at, um, you know, why I think we've had a bit of a breather, and why you've had a bit of a bounce in, in equities, and why you're seeing the VIX compress the way it is, is I, I really think that because you've seen dollar weakness for I don't know what two months now, uh, I think that's what's kind of put that little small bounce in the markets that makes it look like it's it's potentially going to reverse itself, and it's just like uh, Jeff said, a a total trapdoor moment. Um, As long as you have negative spreads between inflation around the world and the interest rates, this pressure is uh, this, this feeling of like everything kind of falling apart in the markets is not going to (laughs) disappear. Like that's the thing that's driving all this because it's, it's just one giant, Uh, economic calculation that starts with the foundation of inflation. And if you can't out hurdle inflation, the math does not work. Right. So I'm looking at that, obviously, is is that negative spread. I'm looking at the uh, the the short duration versus long duration, which Jeff also addressed. And he's exactly right when it comes to banks and their ability to make money, The way that they can assure that is through the duration, the short duration versus the long duration and making sure it's a positively sloped curve. And right now you don't have that around the world. Um, So like all these things um, are super important for people to really kind of understand why we're seeing what we're seeing. And it's going to have to resolve because as this credit gets impaired, it's only going to get more impaired until it resolves itself. and they're going to have to step in with just, like Larry said, unbound amounts of printing. So I don't really place one of those things that I mentioned higher than the other. I think that they're all kind of interconnected and equally important to kind of like be able to wrap your head around. Um, and for people that you know aren't intimately familiar with macro or some of the terminology, I can understand how that just sounds like a bunch of, of garbage. But I would just say that the if I was going to simply describe it, think of like you're in a lazy river and you're trying to go against the current, the current's speeding up. It's getting harder for people just to retain their, their spot in the lazy river. Instead, they're starting to get pulled with the current and that current's speeding up. And so it's really hard for somebody when you think of like a profitable business and somebody who's able to outperform in that environment to like actually move up current like a fish. um, There's, there's not too much of that happening in this environment. So that's how I would describe all the gobbledygook that I said up front. And and if I was going to put it in in like a visual for everybody to really understand, I would describe it the way I did there at the end.
0: And you guys want to respond to that? All right, let's go to uh, Jeff Ross, most important object on your radar right now.
8: Well, I think I just covered it, so I don't want to I don't want to take over and uh, and just repeat everything. But I think I think the most important thing, besides you know, I, I think volatility is important. I think uh, um, well, lots of things are important, but to me, the most important sign is that the front end of the yield curve is now fully inverted. That just suggests to me that the trap has been set and that something is now we're just waiting for something to happen and for something to break. And so, so just get ready for the floor dropout moment.
0: All right, uh, let's open it up. If you're in the audience and you want to come up here and ask questions of these guys, raise your hand. We'll bring you up. We'll be kind to you, I promise. If you want to ask questions in uh, text, you can do that in our Telegram group. That's uh, tm.me, or I'm sorry, it's, it's what is it, Jacob? <laughs> I'm I'm like forgetting it right it's now.
10: It's t.me.
0: t.me, forward, forward
10: slash Cafe Bitcoin Club. Right. Yep. Uh, While we're waiting for questions, Alex, I want to build on uh, Jeff's, uh, Dr. Jeff's uh, excellent point. This is perhaps lost on a lot of people that when you are now shorting bonds, you are paid positive carry because overnight or repo is set off of Fed funds and every other point on the curve is below Fed funds. That in itself leads to enormous stresses in the system. Okay, I know it's not. Second nature to pe- for people to understand that, but that is a dynamic that has very rarely existed all across the yield curve in the USA for a sustained amount of time. And that's why we're pushing up a, uh, you know, count the daily average, the daily averages, not daily average, the daily uh, time limits that the, that the curve is inverted that Jeff is looking at. And that is a sign that the pressure is building and building and building until something breaks. So uh, the easiest thing that Fed can control is the short end of the curve. And right now they have it like a coiled spring. Okay. Everything else in the market is coiled against the short term interest rates at the Fed, such that if you short the treasury bonds, you're paid overnight to do it. Wow. That's sort of cool. People
6: need to understand that, that, they're paying a short-term, they're they're making short-term dis- decisions at a long-term expense, right? The short-term decision is let's keep raising rates so we can suppress inflation and try to get it under control. The expense they're going to pay in the long run is they're, and I sound like a broken record, but they're going to destroy supply chains and make the next round worse because the inflation isn't going to come in at 7 or 8% on the next round. It's going to come in at like 12 or 15%. So that's the price, right? They're making a short-term decision at a long-term expense. And they've been, they've been doing this continually for like 40 years. Right. So it's just building and building and coiling and coiling. And so nobody should be surprised um, in the, in the coming three to five years when this scenario plays out.
0: That's pretty spooky. D. D good morning
11: hey good morning guys yeah thanks for having me on thanks uh, for taking questions um obviously just uh, with a caveat here no one knows uh you know price action and whatnot I was just wondering uh, maybe just Preston if you like whats what's your outlook for the next you know six to six months to a year um, you know are, are we looking at you know hopefully uh, I going chop around here do you do you expect Bitcoin to go lower um, again it's just you know I, no one can predict the price but um, you know, maybe what's your strategy for buying? Are you a DCA kind of guy? Um, just stuff like that?:
6: So if we were looking at historical precedence of an inverted yield curve, you'd be at like 12 months to 18 months before you would hit a bottom in the stock market based on where our current inversion how, how deep the inversion is right now. right? I don't think that the last 40 years are going to necessarily be representative of that timeline. And here's why. I think that, that they are brewing something so massive that the amount of stimulus they're going to have to step in with, to, to Larry's point that he said earlier that I agree with him, is going to be so astronomically high that when we look at the last – during COVID, you looked at how they stepped into the market with just trillions of firepower. And you saw how the market responded and the speed at which the market responded. It was really fast. And it moved in a super aggressive way for anything that was equity-based. Um, I kind of suspect that you're going to have something break in a spectacular way in the coming six months. Uh, I, I think that's kind of the timeline here. And when that happens, I think it's, it's going to set off such a cataclysmic uh, chain reaction of credit impairment that they're, they're, they're saying right now that they're going to be able to do that surgically. I don't think there's going to be anything surgical about it. I think they're going to have to step in with a similar fire hose approach that they did with COVID and they're and it's going to be at a magnitude even more than what they did with COVID. And because of that, I don't know that you're going to have to wait 12 months to 18 months before you see the, the market kind of bottom and start to rebound. But um, that's, that's a very, this time is different opinion. Um, if we were just going off of like history, it's, it would suggest that there's at least 12 months of pain ahead based on where we're at in, in the inversion of the yield curve. So, uh, what, what does Bitcoin do with that? I think in the, in the interim as as everything is kind of blowing up. I think Bitcoin's going to going to have an uphill battle for sure. I think there's been a whole lot of selling pressure that's already happened, um, when, when I look at how many people haven't moved their coins percentage wise of the holders, like those numbers are, are unimaginable for something that's down as much as Bitcoin is in the last year. Um, so I think it's gonna, I think it's gonna perform pretty well relative to all the other risk on type assets in this coming six month period. I think it's going to perform just as well and maybe even better. Um, but once they once they step in with the fire hose and start to stimulate, I think you're going to watch Bitcoin. Uh, I, I think it's going to be breathtaking to see what happens uh, during that period.
11: Awesome, thanks, Preston. I appreciate it. And then just a quick follow up: um, you know, do you think that equities will bottom first, or do you think uh, Bitcoin uh, is a, a leading indicator where um, you know maybe before they pivot, uh, we see a, a spike in Bitcoin price, um, or just kind of thoughts on that?
6: Definitely the latter where Bitcoin will be the leading indicator. Gotcha. Awesome. Thanks so much. Appreciate it.
0: Thanks for coming up, D. Uh, For the rest of the questions, we've only got so much time left, so you get one question. If you've got multiple questions, ask the one that's most important to you. I want to thank Preston for being here as a cameo today. In the future, Preston, if you're interested, we'd love to invite you to these macro strategy sessions. We do them once a month. Um, So we will schedule them in advance um, in in a way that won't, match your schedule up. But if you want to participate in these in the future, you are obviously welcome to. I've already discussed it with the guys in the back channel. They think it's a great idea, so you should do it.
10: You, you only had one dissenting vote. It was Foss, because Foss likes to dominate the stage. Uh, but, but otherwise, <laughs> Foss, uh... is,
0: yeah, Foss <laughs> is like, fuck that guy. <laughs> I can't have him on here. Um, but, but okay. can, I, can
10: I add to Preston's great comment? Very simply, look, cycles are shorter now, people. Cycles get shorter as the debt burden gets larger. And the results are meaningfully worse, meaning the elastic band is stretched to the max. And when it breaks, it breaks harder. Why? Because we have just continued to kick the can down the road. That's the pure and simple truth. There is no further place to push the debt burden. It's at its upper echelon. It all is on the books of the governments right now. There's nowhere else to push it. So the cycle will be shorter.
0: All right. Uh, next question is coming from Bitcoin Carney. Good morning. How you doing, brother? You got
13: something? Hey, guys. Yeah, I have kind of a hypothetical, I guess, parallel question. Um, so we're talking about the bottom falling out and then the Fed having to print inflation being worse the next time around. Uh, to take that to the next step, um, say, you know, BRICS or third world countries start having even worse inflation. So they're all in triple digits um and that inspires them to go to like a gold-backed kind of currency to trade their oil what does that do for bitcoin because when i first heard about bitcoin my only the only threat i could see was if the u.s went on a back to gold uh standard but what if it's out of the u.s's hands and the rest of the world goes to the gold standard first what does that do for bitcoin
3: yeah i'll take that because i'm a gold guy um Look, I think ultimately Bitcoin's going to win because it's superior to gold in so many different respects. But um, I, I hold both because there could certainly be uh, an interim impulse to, you know, when, when, when boomers think of sound money, they think of gold. And obviously, our two biggest adversaries, Russia and China, are making a big bet on gold. I mean, China's very anti Bitcoin, Russia, a little less clear. But, um, you know, they're, they're all sound money. And Bitcoin is, is the best form of sound money. And so ultimately it will win uh, because the hardest money always does win and it's the hardest deflationary money. But in the interim, you know, they, they could, there will, I, I suspect there will be parallel systems. Um, and I also, I mean, it's not like gold is going to win and Bitcoin is going to lose. I think Bitcoin is the fastest horse in the monetary debasement race. So, you know, I could easily see in this next cycle, you know, three, $4,000 gold and $150,000 Bitcoin. I mean, those are kind of my targets for the next two, three years. So um, they're all going to win from monetary debasement. You know, older people, more conservative people, people who don't like volatility, they're going to choose gold. Um, you know, young people, smart people, uh, everyone else is going to choose Bitcoin. So, um, and Bitcoin's got a lot more. I mean, it can, you know, Bitcoin's only $350 million, $350 billion of value right now. The tradable gold, total gold is about $10 trillion, And tradable gold is only half of that, because a lot of it's either around women's necks or in, in, uh, museums or artifacts, so or or central bank vaults, and central banks have been buying it. So there's, you know, we got a couple of parallel systems going on. They're both sound money uh, with different characteristics. Neither one is good, good nor bad. They're they're just different.
0: I'll add just really briefly: gold people are coming over. Um, you know, I've I've spoken to a handful at Swan where they they're starting to come over. Some of them pretty big. I've, I talked to one guy recently. That's got a huge, it's, it's in the double-digit millions uh, in physical gold. And he's starting to swap out his portfolio. He's reallocating.
3: I, I see that all the time. I mean, I, that's my job is to, is to orange-pill gold people. Because they get the problem. They just, they, they, you know, a lot of them were thrown off the scent by all the crypto crap. And look, they're, they they're right. And the problem is that they lump Bitcoin in with, you know, FTX. And that obviously is not right. It implies they haven't done the work. Hey Lawrence, can you can you orange pill
2: uh, George Noble, please? No, I give up. I, I, I...
10: Uh, uh, let me take that one, Larry. Let me take Larry yeah. and George are old friends, I, I and not so much. I, I
3: I won't talk to George anymore. He called me a liar, and that's it. He's he's dead to me.
0: Thanks for coming up, Bitcoin Corner. We've got a bunch of uh, questions now coming in on the uh, Telegram. So let's hit some of these. Some of these don't really pertain to. Uh, <laughs> macros so much but i mean they're probably important to answer so we'll hit them this one in particular is coming from benoit lambert he's saying what are the odds or she is saying what are the odds that bitcoin was a deep state project in order to keep them at the top of the monetary food chain (laughs) i'd love that one
3: i don't buy that at all if you read all the early writings of the quote-unquote satoshis and i think it was a handful of people you know al adam etc um it's, it's pretty clear that it grew organically from what I can see. So I, I don't buy that it's, it's a deep state um, trick.
10: She asked for odds, so I'll give you odds. Slightly greater than zero, but less than 1%. How about that? Because nothing is a 100% or a 0% outcome. So below 1% but not zero. The only 100% certainty out there, and mark my words, is fiat debasement. So set your portfolio up for 100% certainty, which is fiat debasement, and then worry about the deep state and all that on your spare time.
0: Anybody else want to hit that one?
10: I just quickly said zero. I know
8: Foss says you can't say zero, but I said zero. I say, by the way, 100% certainty of fiat debasement. I'd say the other uh, the other 100% certainty is Bitcoin appreciation over the long term for the same uh, antithetical reasons that you, you you say fiat debasement is 100% certain. Fiat, uh, I won't get into it. But anyways, they're they're antithetical to each other, Bitcoin
0: and fiat. Yeah. My question is, it, <laughs> even if it was, how would that even work? Like, I don't see how, if you understand what Bitcoin is, I don't see (laughs) how they could possibly use it to maintain their dominance. I don't don't know, I don't get that. But um, all right, let's keep rolling. I wanna welcome up Corey Clipson, CEO of Swan. Good morning, man.
5: Good morning, everybody. Couldn't miss the end of this. Hello to all the uh, amazing folks on the stage.
8: Morning, Kerry.
3: Hey, good morning, Corey. How
5: uh, How long
3: until CZ goes down?
5: Yeah, so obviously I've been forced to answer this <laughs> quite often uh, lately on on background and things like this, like. Look, at the end of the day, and this is where I've just kind of kept my criticism at the end of the day. He's not going to be able to trade things that aren't crypto. Like you're not going to see this kind of shady, opaque offshore exchange with no headquarters. And a bunch of, you know, executives that come from, you know, the gaming industry or something like that. Like, that thing is not going to trade securities. And everything that trades on the platform right now, other than Bitcoin, has a fair value of zero. And so I just don't see, I don't see Binance or Coinbase being around doing anything close to the businesses that they're in, in the long run but that doesn't mean that either of them are necessarily running a, a ponzi scheme or anything like that. You know, I'm on record saying like yeah, I pretty much believe Coinbase has the GBTC bitcoins. It's bad enough without also thinking that there's something more more terrible going on than taking a you know, 4% rip at this point since the 2% is uh, is off of net asset value and it's it's a 50% discount. And then on the Binance side, you know, he's I think just running a big crypto casino, it's possible that there's some BUSD that's not on the books the way that it is with Paxos or whatever. But my guess is he knows he has a very, very profitable casino and you don't mess with that and and screw it up the way that, uh, that Sam Bankman-Fried did by taking a bunch of directional bets. Um, Sam had to do it because he did not run a profitable casino. He was getting his face ripped off, and so he was trying to gamble his way out of the hole. Uh, I think CZ's casino actually is profitable, and Coinbase's casino, over the, you know, over the midterm, taking bull and bear markets into, into account, you know, their casino should be profitable as long as, uh, as long as they're allowed to continue to exist by the existing financial system and, and regula- regulatory regime.
0: Okay, so we're we're pretty much at the end of the show. We're out of time here. Um, would like to go around and get some closing thoughts from you guys, if you'd like to do that, and then we will uh, we'll move to wrap. James, do you have any anything you want to close with?
9: I think we have hit it all. I think uh, you know my closing thoughts are like these guys are saying: just be careful. I think there's some pain to come in the short term in risk assets because, uh, like Greg said and Larry said, the Fed is uh, hell bent on on trying to regain their credibility, but they don't have the, the, the way to do it without uh, causing pain. There's just no way around it. So uh, in the long term, uh, just like these guys, I think your, your hard money is your, your gold and, and your, especially your Bitcoin, the best one in, in the world, the hardest money out there. Or they're going to perform exceedingly well as we expand the money, money supply. Going into the end of 23 and, and early 24 is my, my best guess. I mean, that's, that's a probability analysis that I've done, and, and I think it's a high probability. Um, so play your probabilities, be careful, uh, be smart, just accumulate along the way, uh, but be, be aware that there, there appears to be some, some pain as we uh, grind into a tough recession coming into the first quarter next year. Then all bets are off, and like Larry said, we're we're going to end up printing to the point where your eyeballs melt.
0: two 2.0 is what that makes me think of. Jeff, closing thoughts?
8: Yeah, uh, exactly the same as what James just said. I think the long end of the Treasury yield is suggesting that we're heading into a recession sooner than later. I think the Fed is now officially playing chicken with the short end of the yield curve, um, none of this uh, portends to better times ahead. I think that uh, the, the bad news is, is we may see um, cheaper uh, prices on lots of things, including Bitcoin in the near term. That's actually good news, right? If you have a long term view, the good news is, is that this means we're getting closer to a bottom. So I think 2023, hopefully this all comes to a spectacular finish. Uh, and then we start the next cycle again. And, and Bitcoin, I think, is going to be the primary beneficiary and also the lead dog out of the, uh, the mire. So, so uh, lots to be optimistic about as, as we dig into later into 2023.
0: Thank you. Greg, closing thoughts, please.
10: Sure, quickly, um, thanks for having me. Uh always learn a lot from these guys. Uh, switching gears from what the Fed's doing, because that's like predicting a circus act. Let's look at macro from a... Uh, perspective of energy companies that are adopting uh, or mining Bitcoin on the side. So that uh, Tokyo electric uh, power uh, grid that starts game theory, Uh, the Japanese owned utility, uh, government owned utility that's mining Bitcoin, stabilizing the grid. So my prediction is this, there's huge opportunities in Bitcoin right now. The Bitcoin mining space, the publicly traded miners have been decimated and rightly so because a standalone Bitcoin mining business is very difficult. You don't control your energy input costs and you don't control your output revenue because you don't set the price. The market does. So energy companies are going to be the Bitcoin miners of the future. Bitcoin opportunities exist for energy companies. Really excited to be part of a platform with James Lavish, uh, Larry Lapard, Mark Moss, of course, Swan Bitcoin, offering a Bitcoin opportunities fund, which will take advantage of The beautiful things that are offered up in the Bitcoin ecosystem doesn't restrict you from being long the Bitcoin ecosystem. You can also short the TradFi system. That fund has just been launched. Bitcoin opportunities in partnership with Swan want to do it for the kids. Amen. Thank you,
0: man. I'm really glad you brought that up. Um, Next macro strategy next month. I'd love to deep dive that if you guys are prepared to talk about it. Um, all right, so we've had a guest cameo appearance uh, by Preston Pish. Preston, do you have any uh, closing thoughts?
6: My closing thoughts would be: I think people look around the world and they're extremely frustrated because they see corruption and rot everywhere they look. If you want to solve that, people feel helpless. They they feel like they can't do anything in order to solve it, and that the, the, any action they take actually reinforces the corruption and the and the stupidity that they see in clown world. I would tell you that the easiest way to solve clown world is to suck the monetary energy out of them. And the way you do that is you buy Bitcoin and you take self-custody of it. And the reason you take self-custody of it is because if there's no Bitcoin on these exchanges, there's nothing that they can, they can sell or do about it. And the price is going to go up. And when they compare their world, their, their clown world, to this thing that just keeps going up, you're going to literally rob them of their monetary energy to keep this farce alive, right? So for me, buy Bitcoin, take self-custody of it, sleep well at night knowing there isn't a soul who can take it from you. And uh, it's, a, it's a really exciting time to be alive, really exciting time to be alive. So I, thanks for uh, letting me just kind of sit up here and be a part of this.
0: Well, you're coming to the next one. Let's go. I agree with everything he just said. Get on the damn mission. Mm. General Lepard, take us home.
3: Okay. So um, I'm going to go out on the limb here. I think the bottom is in for all these uh, sound money assets. I'm I'm looking at the charts of gold. I'm looking at the charts of silver. I'm looking at the charts of Bitcoin. I'm looking at how the things are starting to break. You know, the whack a moles keep popping up, you know, the the real estate funds being gated, et cetera. And uh, I think the bottom is in. I think as soon as first quarter, second quarter at the latest, um, it's going to be obvious that something is broken, and the Fed response is going to be massive, and um, this is going to work in an enormously large way. And so I'm I'm with Preston. I, I, I echo his sentiments, um, you know, get on this mission, and, uh, you know, I mean, I can't believe that today, recently, I was buying Bitcoin, you know, through Swan at 17000 bucks. I just can't believe it. I was paying 17,000 in Thanksgiving of 2017 and uh, to get a second bite at that apple. Wow. It's amazing. So that's what I would say.
0: Corey, do you have anything before we wrap here? Corey might be in dad mode. All good. All right. Thanks to everybody. Really appreciate all you guys for being here. Uh, James, Larry, Greg, Jeff Preston and the regulars like really appreciate you guys doing this has been an outstanding conversation. So we're going to wrap it here. You have been listening to cafe Bitcoin, the place for your morning news Prefer to hang out for some of the smartest minds in the industry. Just chill. Talk about what's going on. We do this every single day, Monday through Friday. We don't do macro strategy every day. All right. To be clear, but we do uh cafe Bitcoin every day. Start at 7 a.m. Pacific. 10 a.m. Eastern, roll for two hours live on Twitter Spaces. It is also a podcast on Fountain, Spotify, and Apple. You can throw me or Swan a follow to be notified of when those drop. Thanks to Swan Bitcoin, the sponsor of this show. My crew, Aunt Shane, uh, Peter, Sats for Life, producer Jacob. I'm your host, Alex Danzig and I work with Swan. You want to know more about Swan, shoot me a DM. Happy to help you. Thanks again to the speakers, both today and every day, that come up here and spend their personal time to teach people about this Bright orange feature. I admire and appreciate you guys. This is what we call getting on the mission. If you don't know what that means, hang on. You'll figure it out. Love all you guys. Everybody go out there. Have a great day today. And crush it.